to another episode of the Rosie Report podcast, where I chat with industry change makers about reimagining a more equitable future of work in advertising and marketing. I'm your host, Steph, founder of We Are Rosie, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming our guest, Winter Mendelssohn, founder of Posture Media. Winter started Posture in order to celebrate the incredible work of underrepresented creatives and entrepreneurs that drive culture and trends, yet often don't get the recognition or opportunity they deserve. Today, we're going to be chatting about what the future of representation looks like in our industry and how we can make it more of a standard than an afterthought. Welcome, Winter. I'm so excited to see you today. Excited to see you, too. Thank you for having me. I um, took a minute this morning to go back and see when we first met. Can you guess how long it's been? Like three years, maybe? That tells you how much of the world has changed since we met. It's been 18 months, Winter, and you and me in a coffee shop in Atlanta. And I really, like, We Are Rosie was just getting off the ground. Posture was a a print publication. So much has changed, and I'm so glad we got to meet while you were here in Atlanta. Me too. No, that was like meant to happen. Yes. How are you? I'm good. You know, things are crazy. Um, It's hard to answer that question right now. I don't think anyone can answer that, but hanging in and healthy. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And you're in New York today, right? Yep. Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. Awesome. But an Atlanta-ish native. I always like to call out when we can, when we can rep people from Atlanta, I want to make sure everybody knows. Yes. Well, I grew up, I was born in Alpharetta, but grew up in Snellville, Georgia. We'll, we'll claim you. You're claimed. You're claimed for Atlanta. Um, but I remember winter when we first met, I was so impressed with posture. First of all, just like I remember you handing me that glossy, gorgeous magazine with so many different kinds of people and faces and diversity represented inside of it. And it was this beautiful, tangible thing. And I was just so impressed with you. And I'd love to hear, like, I think our our listeners would love to hear your story, what prompted you to start Posture, and a little bit about the evolution, because it's changed now, even just in the last 18 months. Yeah, I mean, I... I went to the University of Georgia and I moved here in 2012, right after the day after I graduated. I could not wait to leave Georgia. I, you know, (laughs) no offense taken. (laughs) It was hard as a queer person, um, a queer non-binary person being in Georgia, even in Athens. And when I moved here, I had to decide, you know, do I want to go to grad school or start my own project? And that was really the crossroads. And I decided to start my own project and like throw myself in the deep end of something um, and work my way out basically, which I, I won't recommend everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I probably did it the wrong way. But at the time, you know, again, 2012, this was before a lot of the representation that we see now. Um, I was like, I want to see diversity and, you know, creatives who are driving culture and trends being celebrated in a way that, you know, is like the type of platform that they deserve. And there's something really important to me about the notion of the archive, which is why it was, you know, really important to me to have a print component to posture. Yeah. I want that history. um, That's not just online, but, you know, for, for us to exist on on bookshelves and in archives for hopefully, you know, centuries to come. 
Um, and, but we evolved, you know, it was a natural involvement from a publication to an agency because we were working with advertisers and we started doing, you know, co content, bespoke content. And um, the main thing for me was, you know, it was really satisfying to feature people and, sh you know, shed a light on these amazing projects and entrepreneurs and artists and designers. But it became really clear to me that I wanted to hire them and create job opportunities in the industry versus just writing something about them, which, you know, might lead to money in their bank account in the future. But I wanted to have a more direct role in, in the, you know, career acceleration. So, um, yeah, that's why we were like, let's do an agency and let's hire and really commit to hiring women, people, you know, Black people, Indigenous people, people of color, and LGBTQIA plus um, talent. I love it. And you just built it from the ground up with that in mind. And the diversity was just there from the jump, which is incredible. I'm so curious because you know We Are Rosie works with all of the big holding companies in some capacity. And um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on if this level of representation um, is possible in the kind of institutional structures of the marketing and advertising industry as a whole, or do you think that it's going to take niche companies like Posture um, who, who are kind of carrying that mantle forward? Well, I think niche companies like Posture, and you know, obviously there are many other amazing companies that were doing the work, um, have, have definitely led the way. And I think, you know, when I started like, Posture, it was just Posture and Hello Mister, and then Condé Nast jumped on board, right, with um, them. Um, so we've seen this time and time again, right? It always starts in the independent realm, and then the big conglomerates like are like, oh, I should, I should catch up to this. Yeah, this yeah. Want. Um, and it's always the entrepreneurs who, are, who see a void, right, in, in the industry, and they're like, I'm going to do it myself. That's the yep. age-old story. Um, so I think, you know, now it's getting to a place where you can't ignore what's going on. Yeah. Like, you know, if it was irrelevant, if a company was, a, you know, who wasn't embracing diversity in so many different ways was irrelevant two years ago, even more so now, right? Yep. Um, and I think for me, um, there's a, you know, I don't know if you remember in 2015, uh, Matt Damon, made the statement that you know why does it matter um about diversity in the film like the film crew as long as there's diversity in the casting nah. i remember that being like wow this is just the pinnacle of the problem yep yeah and so i think that there's been a lot of like motivation for people to to get into the industry to you know, start their own businesses to really fight to become, you know, a leader in a company, because that's when I think that we'll start to see real change is when we have more people in power. And that's why it was important to me to own my own agency, too. I'm like, yeah. how many non-binary queer agency owners do I know? Not many. And I want to look around the room and see board, you know, boardrooms full and conferences and people in power at the C-level and founder level who are, you know, minority status. And that's when I think true change will come. 
I couldn't agree more. And I think the work that you have done is absolutely incredible. It was so cool to see you on the stage at the 3% conference last year. Um, and Winter, you are changing lives. And I think, um, you know, it's almost like the major corporations, both on the brand side and within agency walls, should have a scout, right? Like, to your point, it's exactly that. Like, the, there's a grassroots movement. These revolutions start with the people who have a unique view on the world. And often those people aren't represented, certainly not represented in positions of power um, within kind of the institution. So it, it's, it is so true in every agency, every marketing organization should be looking to posture for the way forward. And I, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about the work that you all are doing now. Like right now, are you all focusing primarily on production? Well, of course, because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. At home production, Hunter? <laughs> we got slammed, to be honest. We had a lot lined up for this year. I, like, I was about to close the biggest contracts in my personal career history, and then it was like everything's on pause, and it was heartbreaking. Um, so, no, content production is really, has really been you know, set aside for us, but it was on our list as an agency to expand in different ways anyway so this was kind of that kick in the ass we needed to like not we don't want to just be known for content production actually yeah what we are really more interested in and pushing for is the creative the creative direction the the strategy brand strategy the voice um you know the community strategy like that's where we want to live more in the industry so this was an opportunity for us to like kind of work really hard behind the scenes. Um, and we have brought on some, I can't announce it yet. Well, we haven't launched it, but some independent companies and some, you know, people, entrepreneurs that we're working with on a personal level from brand identity to, you know, granular, like web design and the tangible um, but just really helping people jumpstart their companies and their lives and do paid media and help get them in front of people. So while we love content production and it will always be part of what we do, we're definitely pivoting and expanding more toward a more, you know, a more expansive, integrated approach. I love to hear it. We need more of that. We need more of that. And I, just the work that you've done to date is just um, stunning. So I'm excited to see what's what's in the future as you all grow. And I've got some ideas that we'll talk about after this too. Um, but I'm so, you know, so are you primarily using um, a combination of freelancers and full-time employees to grow posture or to pivot posture in this day and time? Yeah. I mean, we are a small creative studio. It's myself and Asher. He's the co-founder and my partner and, you know, ride or die in life and we have it's, it's us as full-time really running the ship and then we have some some part-timers and then we primarily do project to project freelance right now um our art director's in berlin and we work with her so we have you know we love being able to work with people all over the world too and really tap into that i love it and i'm so curious i i have to ask because i want to i'm like such a big believer in manifestation like what are your dream clients? Like, what is the perfect client for posture? Yeah, I've been asked this. And I mean, it's, um, I should know, right? And I, the reason I don't have an answer today is because honestly, because of the pandemic and because of what's happening, my 
answers have changed. Yeah. Um, you know, right. It used to be like, Oh, we really want to do a Nike campaign, like every other agency in the world. Right. And now I'm like, I don't know. I think, you know, we we're really trying to hone in on the criteria that we want to hold companies to, um, to, you know, work with us basically. Um, like we only want to really, and I don't know yet. I mean, you know, the bills have to get paid. Our people have to get paid. So it's obviously a difficult position to be in. I wish we had the luxury of being able to vet every single business and only work with, you know, angels of companies. But, um, right now I, I really just work we want to be known for building purpose driven brands, right. And, and companies that make an impact. We want to help build companies. We want to help build products that really help people. So right now when I, you know, as a younger person, I was like, all I want to do is a Nike campaign. Now I'm like, no, I, I wouldn't even, I don't really even care about that anymore. I really just care about helping individuals launch their companies that will help others, right? So whether that's in the nonprofit space or just working with underrepresented entrepreneurs, that's really my dream. That's my dream right yeah. now. That's awesome. I I can so relate to that winter. You know, I along the lines of can we only work with businesses or clients that are 100% aligned with our values? And it's going to be tough to find those uh, businesses and companies frequently, I'd say. And these are conversations that we have at We Are Rosie too, around, you know, our North Star is putting people, particularly underrepresented people to work in a way that gives them the career and the life that they want. And so I've chosen to just stay focused on that North Star. It sounds like you are in a similar space and it's ultimately um, the individual people within the Rosie community. It's their decision whether they want to take on a project or not. So we leave that kind of autonomy with our community so that they can make the decision because we're ultimately, and I've I've said this frequently recently, um, we're in the business of creating wealth and opportunity and power for people that have traditionally not had it in this industry. And if they choose to, um, you know, participate in a project that is with a company that may not be a hundred percent aligned with our values, then ultimately the the power rests with the people that we're here to support. Um, yes, I could not agree more. That is a hundred percent where we stand as well. It's up to the person to decide what's best for them. And you know, no one's perfect either. Yeah. So I love that. I love that a company like We Are Rosie exists and that, you know, people like us are rising up in the industry and elevating each other. Like this is literally what's going to change the industry. So it brings me it brings me great joy <laughs> to hear yeah. to hear this. Me too, Winter. And I feel like um, I feel like there's so many people that are galvanized right now to create the change. Like there's a lot of us that have been working for years. I mean, you've been running posture for seven years and I was looking back, I want to talk about how you started it. Cause it was like a side hustle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So there's so many of us that have been working to create this change and it's really cool. I saw a uh, Bennett Bennett, one of my faves tweeted out yesterday, like coalition is the word of the day. And I'm like, no shit. Like, all of these people that have been working really hard to create the change that we want to see now have an opportunity to really um, 
move everything forward in this industry now that everybody is paying attention. And I think that it is really cool that we've all found each other and it's like a magnet, you know, I feel like we just attract the people um, that are on the same, on a similar journey and we're all approaching it from a different lens and we're all creating the change we want to see through, you know, our own sphere of influence and the things that resonate with us. And hopefully over time we lift the whole industry up. So I really agree with you on that front too. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you started because this is so interesting. I get asked, I get um, asked frequently, how do I start a business? Like, how do I get out of my full-time job and start a business? Should I just quit? That feels very scary. It's terrifying. Should I side hustle it? And there's no right answer. You know, I quit my job to start We Are Rosie and it was terrifying. Um, but you took a different path and I'd love to hear about what that was like for you um, launching Posture while you had a full-time job. No big deal. Yeah, I think it's different for everybody, you know, and if you have access to capital and where you can get the capital and if you don't. So in my case, I had no money. I came there with, you know, no job, but really privileged in that I have family living in Jersey. So they took me and my best friend in at the time. We drove up here in my little Kia, stayed with them for, I think, like a month, four or five weeks. And every day we were taking the path train in and interviewing for jobs and just like, we, you know, trying to find anything. We studied art history. So we were mainly looking in the gallery realm, but it was hard to get a job right out the gate. Yeah. So my first job was a receptionist in a hair salon on the Upper East Side, making twelve fifty an hour. Oh <laughs> and I was like, I was bare. Oh my gosh. I was barely making it. Like my rent, I think I, I lived in a hole in the wall, for like 600 a month, but with eight other people. Yeah. yeah exactly. And <laughs> that's um, part of the experience winter. That's part of what you signed up for. Exactly. I didn't care anything to be here. Honestly, I didn't. Yeah. Care. Um, and I, you know, it wasn't enough. I I'm very like, I don't want to say obsessive, but maybe, you know, when I, when I, want something and I see it I'm like I, I really need it like I don't care what it takes I don't care like how fucked I get I need it yeah and I you know was like I was at a I remember I was at a queer bar one night um and Metropolitan in in Williamsburg and I was like playing pool with some friends and I remember seeing all the queer magazines like on a you know like the part of the entry yeah. And like, I don't see myself represented here. Like this is it's just very, it's very cisgender. It's very pop culture. I'm like, who are the artists? Who are the designers? Who's making the nightlife thrive? You know, who are the writers? Like I want a little, a little deeper than what I'm seeing. And so I was like, I was, you know, five years in and I was like, this is it. I'm starting yeah. my magazine. I like, I can't believe something doesn't exist. So I was like, you know, of course, Googling how, how to start a magazine, <laughs> like back, right? I don't know. Like, that's what I Googled. I was 22, 23. And I was like, I, I don't know. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll learn how to build a website. I'll learn how to make a logo. I'll learn how like to write articles and publish articles. And I put up flyers at parties calling for writers. Like I literally like didn't even have a huge grasp on social media at the time. Um, and I just, yeah, I self-funded. I don't know, like whatever I could put aside for hosting fees and, you know, the little expenses that it, it 
had, I paid for myself. I threw a fundraiser at the Dalloway, which was a queer bar at the time. It, it's no longer um, in existence, but I threw like a great fundraiser with a silent art auction. And I raised, I think like two grand, and which to me at the time was a lot of money. I was like, yeah. oh, like, yeah. Hey, for expenses. Like, yeah. um, and then I started getting quotes for printing costs. And that's what really put me like at a stop. I was like, damn, like doing small print runs, like of 200 to 300 copies was like six, $7,000, which for me felt impossible. Yeah. So it took me um, two years to save up. Like I just put, yeah. kept putting money aside. And I had a different job at this time, making a little more, not much, a little more. And I just paid out of pocket and I used credit cards, um, which I'm still paying off to this day. You know, yeah. so like when people are like, how do I start a business? It's really about the risk, right? Like understanding that if you take on debt, um, you if you don't have a great plan and the capital to pay it off, like it might haunt you and like it affected my credit. Mm. It affected a lot of things because I was young and like, I was like, let me just, I don't care. Put it on the card. Give me get another yeah. card, three cards that I maxed to mm. make things happen. And eventually it got to the place where I was like, you know, posture really needs to profit more. I can't keep self-funding. Right. Yeah. So I taught myself how to get advertisers. I taught myself how to create pitch decks, that process of just talking and selling and creating, you know, benefits for people. Yeah and to sell you know to companies and so we did start making income through ad sales and sponsorships and things like this which was great yep. but it wasn't enough to like have a full-time staff and be full-time it wasn't enough yeah. so i started looking for investors that's that's the route i went like i bootstrapped as much as i could in the sense of having a product to show mm -hmm. having a clear mission uh, and, a, and a solid business plan. And I'm like, look, we're already making money. And at that point, I felt confident enough to approach an investor, um, which is probably the advice I would give to someone today is like, you need, you know, investors, like, unfortunately, unless you're a cis pet white man, and you just have a great idea, and someone's just gonna write you a check. Yeah. Um, you know, for people like us, or, you know, black people and people of color, like you probably have to already have a product, which is so shitty. Yeah. Um, and it's part of the injustice of the world and, and, and venture capital, which is a whole other conversation. Yep. Um, but ultimately I was lucky and I found angel investors, which is also the way I would encourage people to go. If you're in a, especially a creative field where you're not making millions of dollars overnight and can just cut someone a, a check. Um, I'm taking notes because so much of what you say resonates with me. I was having a conversation with a fellow underrepresented founder yesterday and he was like, I'm about to go raise a bunch of VC. And I was like, please reconsider, right? Like maybe that's the way to go, but please bootstrap this thing as far as you can uh, before you take anybody, anybody else's money. And if you need some money to get going, please take angel money from people that share your values. Because if you aren't crystal clear on what you want and how you're going to get there, um, your venture investors in particular will get crystal clear on their vision for your business. And then all of a sudden you're trapped in this business that isn't your dream and your heart. And what are you doing? Like, what was the point, you know? And that's, something I've wrestled with a lot. We've had a lot of VCs approach us recently in particular, and we've, you know, we don't even really have conversations with them because 
we are such a values-based business and we're so committed to implementing the change that we want to see. And that sometimes leads us to make decisions that cost the business more money. It leads us to do things that a VC would not be pleased with. And, you know, we haven't laid anybody off since COVID started. We've actually been hiring. And I, I, I've pinched myself a few times and said, if we had investors right now, this may not be the case, you know? And so there's so much to think about. And it's hard when you're getting started. You were so young. I was 33 when I started We Are Rosie. So I've like had some more life experience that was helpful. But if you don't, and I also didn't know what I was doing. I was also Googling, like, how do you make a business in Atlanta? <laughs> like, I don't know. And I still mess that up. And we didn't pay some fee from city of Atlanta that we just found out about. <laughs> like, um, you know, it's like, you're, there's so much that you don't know. And as an entrepreneur, you get basically like an MBA in every six months because you're just learning so much. And I think it's really important to your point to make sure that you're surrounded by people that share your values, that understand why you're doing what you're doing and that you can lead the charge independently as long as you possibly can to firm up that vision and mission and how you want to show up in the world as a business. Otherwise, somebody else is going to take the reins and it's not going to be a fun ride. Exactly, exactly. And I think at the time I was having lots of meetings, you know, and getting turned down. And I was like, kind of like, I'll take anything at this point. But it was really important that I was like, I'm putting my venture capital search on hold and going to go more for Angel and find someone who really understands and really cares what yeah. I'm doing. And it actually, like, I want to give a shout out to Arlen Hamilton of Backstage Capital because, um, I went to an event where she was speaking and I waited for like 30 minutes with my, my magazine to like pitch to her <laughs> and I got my five minutes and I did my pitch and she was like, email me. I want to hear more. I'm interested. And that like changed my world because I emailed her and it wasn't the right fit for her at the time media, but um, she is so incredibly caring and amazing that she made the introduction for me that event that got us angel investment nothing it. It for her you know and it really took and our our investor now is a trans woman of color and it's an, an angel and she's like a dream and i'm like yes. that you can't ask for better than that and again it like what we were talking about like it takes women in non-binary people and trans people uplifting each other Yes. Um, to, to make power like that's what happened in this oh case. my gosh i love that story winter shout out arlen hamilton she's amazing oh amazing. she's amazing i love i listen to every podcast she's on she's yeah, so calm i like want to chill out when i hear her speak i'm like oh get down a notch um i need that in my life that's such an awesome story and i'm so glad that you found an investor that is aligned with your values i love it i love it yeah. um I have, I could talk to you about a million things all day. I do want to say, you know, you touched on something briefly that I think is worth bringing up if anybody is thinking about going independent or launching their own business or following their dreams. But um, you mentioned it for just a second, but this kind of obsession that founders have to have, um, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Um, if you look at it on paper, people will say like, what the fuck are you thinking? Um, and you have to have it. I, I, I saw something the other day that was like, you have to set dream, you have to set goals as a founder that are so big that you understand you will have to become a different person to make them happen. 
And I feel that in my bones. Like I have become a, di- a totally different person over the last two and a half, three years since I started We Are Rosie. I have grown spiritually. Like I have grown in my view of the world so extensively because the person that wanted, that wants to achieve what I want to achieve, which is like such massive change in this industry, um, is not even the woman that's sitting here right now. You know, I'm going to have to keep leveling up and you have to be obsessed. Otherwise you'll just be like, it's too hard. It's too like, it's just such a, um, it's a beast, but you have to have that illogical obsession, you know, to a certain extent blinders on like, this is what I'm going to do. And that's what it takes. Yeah. And it, especially at the beginning, it's really hard. It's incredible work, right? Cause there's such a big learning curve. Mm-hmm. I don't think I slept for like two years. So that's something to keep in mind too, is like, you know, and I think it impacted my health and it took a while to recover and like the burnout and, so it's important to you when you're starting to like have a really clear plan where you stay focused, but you also don't drive yourself into the ground like I did. <laughs> and like I'm seeing your face <laughs> clearly, because that's also a scary road, right? Like that obsession can, can hurt you too. Yeah. And if you're not well, you know, physically, spiritually, whatever you want to call it, like you can't help others, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you're speaking my language. I got a talking to from my, I see a naturopath and she does blood work on me every six months now. She used to do it every year. And since I started the business, she's like, we, we need to do this more frequently. Um, and, you know, it's true. It's true. There are 100%, there are impacts on your body, um, on your sleep. And it's tough because to, especially as an underrepresented founder, we do have to work harder than everybody else. Like we do, I saw somebody on Twitter this morning actually like, don't start an agency. I've worked 50, an average of 50 hours a week for the last four weeks. And I'm like, I've never worked uh, 50 hours a week. Like it's always been 65 for the last two and a half years. Like <laughs> that is, you know, we have to work harder. We have to show up in a different way. We have, a, we have to show up as perfection to get respect. And so there is also that added layer that I think is tough for people to understand. You know, it's, it is a lot of pressure. And um, particularly if you're not a white cis male, you're going to have to do some extra work and some heavy lifting that you bring up such a valuable point about paying attention to your health and how you're showing up spiritually. You know, my business coach is a Reiki master. Like, I'm like, I don't want to talk about business stuff. I want to talk about spirituality and energy and the things that I need to keep my mind right, because this is such a a mind game too. Yeah. I need a business coach speaking of too. I'll connect you. She's amazing. She's amazing. Her name's Jessica Joins. Shout out to Jessica. But she came up through the agency ranks, became a CMO of Rakuten, and just walked out one day and was like, this is not the life for me. I have a calling. She's an entrepreneur as well. And um, she coaches uh, women and non-binary entrepreneurs. Like that's her sweet spot. And she is a gift in this world. She's completely changed my life and gotten me, gotten my mind right and on the right path. So I'll connect you with her too. Um, Winter, I've got one last question for you. So, so much has changed the whole world. I mean, even just think about how much you and I have changed, our companies have changed, the world around us has changed in the last year. Um, And with all of the recent events, we're not, there's no normal, right? Like we're not going back to how things were. 
Is there anything that you're really excited to not see again? <laughs> that you're excited with all the changes to be like, bye, we're not doing that anymore. I think, I mean, my biggest hope is that this is just a really big wake up call for for brand positioning and mark marketing and the types of messages that go out in the world and that a lot more care, way more than has been done historically, even though I know a lot of work goes in at this point, like we've seen a lot of change. Um, my biggest hope is that it just keeps getting better and better and better and people become more and more conscious and self-educate and really put in the work and stop relying on black people and trans people to do the educating. Um, and you know, for more hiring decisions to be more intentional and diverse in the rooms. And that's really my, my biggest concern and my biggest goal as an entrepreneur in this industry is to just see more, like you said, more people in power, more positive messaging, brands stop putting out just like empty campaigns, like everything, you know, it's like, how can you actually make a difference? And I think that's where people are going to put their money for sure is looking at the companies who are doing the work. Yeah. Um, so that's my biggest hope is to just see more companies step up, use privilege, use capital and put it back into the communities that, you know, are really experiencing the greatest levels of in injustice. I love that winter. What a perfect way to wrap up our conversation today. I share in your hope for the future of this industry. Um, and I'm thankful to be along this journey with you trying to create the change that we want to see. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, where can our listeners find you on social? You can follow Posture on Instagram at Posture Media. And I'm on Instagram at Winter Mendelssohn. Perfect. Thanks everyone for tuning into the Rosie Report podcast. Subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube or follow us on whatever streaming platform you're on so you never miss future episodes. You can always head to wearerosie.com slash podcast if you ever get lost. See you next time. <laughs>